We welcome you to another women's basketball edition of Press Row, a Texags produced podcast with local media. Press Row and all Texags podcasts can be found at texags.com slash podcast or iTunes or however you prefer to take podcasts. We're probably there. We would appreciate the download, the subscription, so that you come right to your phone real easy. You can rate us. You can review us. That always helps us, too. So we appreciate that. I'm Gabe Bach, joined by Robert Cessna of the Bryan College Station Eagle, longtime beat writer for Aggie Women's Basketball. Jersey Mike Lucas of KAGS TV here locally. We got longtime A&M Women's Basketball play-by-play voice Tom Turbeville in the house with us, virtually, of course. And Tex-Ags Women's Basketball writer Anna Peterson. The Aggie Women's Basketball team didn't get that one seed. A two-seed cease, I believe, for the fifth time. Under Coach Gary Blair, the Hall of Famer, as it begins play, I'm getting a lot of head nods. That's good. As it begins play in the NCAA tournament. The game is against 15-seeded Troy Monday. That's how you kick it off at the Irwin Center, of course. I think the quote from Gary Blair, I'll be damned. You got that going at the Irwin Center in Austin, ESPN2. And, of course, with Tom Turbeville on the call, Tap Bents right here on the zone. Guys, welcome back. Hard to beat tournament time. Makes it that much sweeter when it all got stripped of us last year. But, Tom, we'll start with you because you're going to be right there calling it, I hope, courtside. It's that much better when you actually get to do it. No no courtside, but you're actually but you're still going to be able to call the game, so that's good. Yeah, no no, no courtside because courtside would be considered in the bubble. And uh, oh, okay. I'm not okay. I'm not going to be in the bubble. And I guess uh, okay. Cease, if Cease is going or whoever's going for the media – you know, you're not really in the bubble. That would mean courtside, which is okay with me because being in the bubble means you don't get to do anything. You seriously. I mean, these girls, from what I understand, they're going to be staying at a really nice hotel on the river walk, but they're not going to be able to go walk on the river. They're going to look (laughs) out their windows and look at all the people having a nice time down there because it's going to be so, so careful and so bubbled. But, no, we're going to be calling the game from – I'm not really sure what the situation – we're going to be calling it from high up, like the concourse area. So, we're not actually – Oh, but you'll be there on site, though. Oh, at yeah. least on site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be there on okay. site. And uh, it, it's much like uh, the Big 12 uh, radio people have been calling it all year long. They haven't been courtside. They've been up high for their road games. Like Craig Way at Texas, he's been able to go on the road, but he calls the games from way up high. And that's where – uh, Steve Miller and I actually be calling the games, and uh, that's where we'll be for, uh, of course, uh, Monday night we'll be at the Irwin Center, but then after that, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll be in San Antonio. Well, we are voicing this, too, by the way, on St. Patty's Day, and I guess when you get over 60 years old, you just stop caring about wearing green. I mean, Mike and Anna did their part on this thing. But wait, 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 wait. Oh, okay. okay, he got yeah, okay. She I was not wearing yeah. a green yeah. shirt. Yeah, Anna called me out. Anna called color. me out on this, so I found something green. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, no. Exactly. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it, was, it, was, that. it was when you were in makeup, Gabe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He was That's in right. here in makeup. That's yeah. right. Cece's got that look like, couldn't care less, <laughs> don't care, will never care. <laughs> You guys enjoy St. Patrick's was... Day. It's it's March 17th. I don't know about everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I was worried I would get bullied by you, Gabe. So that's uh, uh, I'm such a bully. I'm such a bully. <laughs> All right. So let's let let's start with your thoughts on the draw, the path to the final four, how you see it. The winner will face 
Old Bill Finley's been there like 35 years, guys. I mean, at, at Iowa State, they're still doing the same old stuff. They got bigs that shoot threes. They got little kids, little, you know, guards that shoot threes. I mean, they're just going to shoot it like crazy, like they always have at Iowa State. So, you got to worry about that. And then Michigan State can shoot it, too. They play defense out of the Big Ten. Ten years after the Aggies' only Final Four appearance, you're back in it. They were a two-seed then. They're a two-seed now, like we said, taking on Troy. What do you guys think? about A&M deserving the one, not getting it, but more importantly, the draw that's in front of them. Mike, what do you think about A&M's draw? I mean, personally, I think they should have been a one seed, and I, I think we can all agree that their resume stacked up side-by-side side against anyone had the credentials to be a one seed, but if you want to say that NC State and A&M were four and five, then the truth is it doesn't really matter which one got the one, which one got the two. Because in the Elite Eight, the only difference that would make is which team's wearing their home uniform and which team's wearing their road uniform. So it doesn't make that big of a difference. If you go back and watch the celebration video when they heard their name get called, you could see Gary do a little bit of a slow clap and he kind of looked down and took a seat quite slowly. And I don't want to read too much into his reaction. He isn't older guy maybe it just you know takes a little longer to get the muscles loose and I can't speak on that yet but I do think he was a little disappointed I I think he wanted that one seed I think he wanted to make history with this with this team because it's been such a historic season already for this group of girls but overall I like the region I, I I think them and NC State one and two you were gonna have to play them anyway it doesn't matter which one was the one seed or two seed it sucks for me personally that they're two games away from possibly playing Rutgers. You know, that that's the only Rutgers basketball or athletic program that I find any joy from. So that's going to be a little personal battle for me being a New Jersey kid. But you look at the region, they shouldn't reach the elite eight. I don't want to say with relative ease that that's putting it way too easily, but they'll be favored. They're the best or second best team in the region. And you got to get to the elite eight. And then it comes down to them playing NC state. So, I don't hate the draw. I think they should have been a one seed. You're, you're picking straws or flipping coins there. But overall, I think the region, the Mercado region, sets up pretty nicely for a deep Aggie run here. Mike, you're not going to have to worry about that because Rutgers is not going to get by Arizona, I don't think. Anna, what would you think about the draw? Yeah, I didn't agree with it. I think it wasn't fair to the team. But I also think they can't leave any room for error. I mean, NC State won the ACC tournament. And Texas A&M lost in the semifinals to Georgia of the SEC tournament. So it isn't fair. I don't agree with it. Um, The SEC was also the highest rated league in the net all season. So it still doesn't quite add up to me. But I I think that um, I know Sierra Johnson said in her press conference that they do reap the consequences that they sown against Georgia. So, I mean, I don't agree with it still, but they got to get the job done and they can't leave any room for question. Cease, you, Mike, and I also cover football. Kind of feels like that, right? There's five deserving teams for a one seed. There were five deserving teams for the playoff, and A&M was outside looking into the playoff. They're not outside looking into this playoff. They just got uh, one one lower seed. But overall, I don't think it matters that much. I actually like that they put a chip on their shoulder because Gary wanted that number one seed. It, it, it's just a historic year. I agree with Mike. He wanted it. That means the program wanted it. So now they got to go out and prove people wrong. So I actually like a little chip on their shoulder, and I don't care what they say. It is there. They wanted the one. They didn't get it. I basically like 
the draw overall because I feel Connecticut is a good matchup. And, of course, being a rider, I can look ahead. Gary can't. I even like NC State because they're not used to being in this situation. They have COVID issues. They're center-oriented. A&M's good inside. So I, I actually the, – the thing I fear early is Iowa State possibly because they're going to make A&M – not play their bigs. They're going to shoot threes. And yes, I think AM should win this at game, but I know what Bill Finley can do. And right. so that, that does concern me a little bit. But overall, at the end of the day, I feel this team should be in the Final Four. And I think now they have a little extra push from them. And because that was a little disrespectful. And, and I know sometimes maybe that's because you cover the team too much. But come on, they were the number three team in the country in two weeks. They beat South Carolina, and now you're not in the top four. I, I couldn't buy that. So I'll, I'll see what they can do on the court to prove my words right. Tom, speaking of the draw for you, I mean, I think you've retired from women's basketball like three times since Bill Finley got that job at Iowa State, and he's still there. <laughs> I like Coach Finley. You talk about two of the nice guys in women's basketball. You could have that matchup with Gary Blair and Bill Finley. They're good friends with each other. Uh, I know that uh, over the years, uh, Steve Miller in particular has developed a, a close friendship with uh, Bill Finley just because all the times that we've been on the road to, to Ames, uh, just a, a terrific guy and a terrific basketball team. I mean, this is a team that beat Baylor, you know, so if you, if you put that bar on there, that's a, that's a pretty big bar. But speaking of the draw, you know, if you say that they weren't disappointed, that's not that's not accurate because the people that say that it doesn't matter, those are the people that didn't get it. And that's what, how A and M stands. It did matter to them. But then again, if you look if you look at where they are, I agree with Mike, and I, I think that this region and this part of the region is probably their best route to make a deep run. If you ask A&M, okay, you don't know what seed you're going to be, but would you rather play uh, Gonzaga or Indiana, or would you rather play Rutgers, Arizona, or Iowa State? Um, you know, they might go with, with the latter. They might go with where they are, with yeah. Rutgers, Arizona, or Iowa State, than to take on, you know, Gonzaga or Indiana to get to that uh, that uh, final four, that elite eight. So, um, yep. yeah, they wanted it. They didn't get it, but I like where they are. Mike, let's go back to you because I think your point that you're going to bring up for all of us as we get into these reporter storylines really sort of stems off of and plays well off of this topic. Yeah, Cease hit home the, the main point. I, I like to elaborate on it, but two weeks ago, the NCAA selection committee had them as their third-ranked team, and after that ranking came out, they beat South Carolina head-to-head, SEC championship in the regular season on the line in Reed arena, the Aggies went out and not only beat the Gamecocks, but they controlled that game for about 97% of the game. It, it only got close in that little spurt down the end where South Carolina with their backs against the wall came out swinging and, and to their credit made it a game, but it really wasn't that competitive for the majority of the 40 minutes. A&M dominated or dominated would be a little loose of a term, but a&M was the better team, and on that day, they were the better team. So to see them drop two spots after that number three ranking, even though they have a head-to-head -head win over one of the teams that surpassed them, 
doesn't make sense to me. I also think it's a little disrespectful that they're discrediting winning the regular season title in the toughest league in the country. And you can make the argument that it may be tougher to win the conference tournament because it's back no, to back to back. Not game, this year with COVID way harder to win the regular season. I completely agree. And I think in any year it's harder to win the regular season because that's a, a showcase of your entire body of work. A team can get hot. Look in the men's on the men's side, Georgetown sucked all year. Georgetown was not good. Wow. They go through, they get hot at the right time. They win five games in a row against the beat up biggies. That wasn't particularly great to begin with. They're in the tournament. And good for them because they won, but it's not like they were the best team in the Big East this year. They were the eighth seed for a reason. A&M was the one seed in the SEC tournament. They got upset by Georgia, but Georgia's really good. good. So oh, that, yeah. that, it just doesn't add up to me the fact that you look at their resume, their losses are to Georgia, who's a three seed, and LSU, which they avenged twice later in the year, on the road equals them being a two seed. So I do think they were a little disrespected. On the contrary, though, it's one thing to get slapped in the face with disrespect by being a two seed. The response is what matters. And so far, the response we've seen from the AM players and even Gary himself, I, I think has been tremendous. Sierra came out right afterwards and said, it doesn't really matter what seed we want. If we don't come out and play well against Troy, we're going to lose. Whether we're a one seed there, 16, whether we're two seed there, 15, like it is, we have to come out and play. And then Kayla echoed that same sentiment saying, you know, we take this as a game-by-game game approach. If we look too far ahead anyway, seating doesn't really matter. Gary then echoed the same thing, and they can't change their seating. It, it is what it is. They are a two-seed in the Mercado region moving forward. But what they can do is control how they respond and channel that disrespect into their on-court product. And from every early indication, I have loved what I've seen from the veteran leadership response, from Gary's response. And I have a feeling, I don't know what the line is yet, but I would take A&M to cover whatever the line is against Troy and probably double it because I would not want to be a Troy Trojan on Monday in the Irwin Center. I have a feeling that A&M is going to come out motivated. And as we've said, they have that chip on their shoulder now. And I'm not sure if there's a better coach in the country at playing up. You've been disrespected. You have to go out and prove it than Gary Blair. Broadcast journalism right there from Mike Lucas. Very strong. Did anybody do we, I mean, we are, we kind of started with this. Any more juice to squeeze out of this topic, guys? Anybody have anything to add? Well, I, I, I agree with Mike about the, the Troy factor, and I don't think Gary Blair is going to harp on it for any by any means, but he is going to remind his team of, of 2015 when they went to uh, Tempe and lost to UALR in the first round, which was a big shocker. A few years earlier than that, they – they, they took a, a plane trip. I was on this trip. It was funny. Uh, both TCU and A&M get on a plane and fly to Trenton, New Jersey to play a basketball game. If that's not Could weird enough. Could have met Waco. Yeah. If, if that's not weird enough, it got weirder because TCU won the game. And, yeah. you know, A&M was one and done. So, uh, you know, but, but Troy's a, another three-point shooting team. I mean, sure, you know, A&M going to beat Troy. Well, you certainly expect that. But, but I think he's going to remind them that, to keep, and he doesn't really have to remind them of this because they've gotten where they are by the one game at a time attitude, not only just saying it, but actually living it out. I'll tell you where else. Go ahead, Anna. You got something to add? 
I was just going to say, yeah, this loss and disrespect to the Aggies is a great wake-up call, not to mention in 2011 when they won it all, they entered the tournament as a number two seed. So it's not a bad thing, and I think uh, the losses to LSU and Georgia could really help them. It's good to get a taste of losing. It keeps teams hungry and focused and humble, and with all this, any game can be your game, the NCAA tournament. I think the Aggies are in a great spot with this number two seed. Well, Cease, we'll let you go next because there's another reason why they're going to be locked in, and that's just how many outstanding leaders they have, particularly in the upper class of seniors. Yeah, this is going to be a senior tournament for so many reasons, and I'll get to A&M's. Number one is this team has been so close, and uh, we, we see it even though we're not there. They tell us about it, and that's going to be big for another reason when I'll elaborate. But number one is I think – when you look at the Georgia game, we're so glad that we're in the regular season get and do so well. I know Gary has mentioned at least four times when it was 46-41, Georgia took a timeout. Out of the timeout, Georgia scores easy layups. And I think that shocked Gary, shocked Starkey that they got three easy baskets, three easy layups, because this team has competed from day one. But Maybe because they won the regular season title. There was that lull, and they I don't think they gave their best against Georgia, bottom line. And I think they're ready to atone for that. That being said, all seniors everywhere are going to be ready to atone. This is going to be so unusual because I was reading a transcript the other day from Kim Mulkey. She said they were up at the Big 12 for four days in a bubble. She goes, I'm about ready to go nuts. She goes, I don't know what we're going to do in San Antonio. I don't know how players are going to react. None of us know this. It's going to be very unusual. Number one, I'm glad it's not a Kenny Carter team because this team gets along. It's going to be hard for anybody because you're going to have to get along for a week, two weeks, and there's going to be so much strain. But if there's a team that I can think can handle that strain is this senior laden team. I think that's a plus for A&M. But, I, but we don't know. It's, but it's going to be so interesting because you only play, you know, two games a week. They're going to be in, as Tom mentioned right off the bat, and I've read about this bubble, a lot of coaches are worried how their players are going to react to this bubble in San Antonio. When Whoever said it, you go look out and watch people out in the river walk. You're not going to be there. <laughs> and, I, and I think uh, I may be wrong on this, but I believe the teams are required to arrive in San Antonio today. Correct. That's what uh, I'm understanding. Because, so, uh, yes. and, and so you talk about a team like A&M that's not playing until Monday, because I believe they have to, every, everybody in the bubble has to pass two uh, COVID tests before they start play. So, uh, so yeah, the, uh, the quarantine for them starts today. It's, well, it's you just, like players like that, Cease. Well, you like players like that, too, that have been through a lot. Like, okay, bubble for three weeks, Aaliyah Wilson can handle that. I mean, look what else she's handled just to get to this point. Bubble for three weeks and all these seniors, Destiny Pitts transferred in. Uh, Sierra Johnson, don't forget, transferred in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just been through a lot just to get to this point. Now here you are, one more run at it. I could see like a – and in women's basketball, I don't have a lot of one-and-done teams, right? They don't do that. But <laughs> it's going to be fascinating on the men's side too, like some of these young bucks and this versus like the the Bamas, the senior in, on the men's side, even Texas on the men's side. A, they're right there in their backyard, but B, they're old. So these older kind of adult-oriented college basketball teams on the men's and women's side, I think are going to have a leg up uh, to, to handle their stuff, make sure they take care of the bubble side of things Stay because one, one thing's going to knock you out. I mean, imagine quarantine when you're in a bubble together. One, one person breaks it, 
and comes back into that thing or whatever, the whole team's probably going to be wiped out. So this is going to be fascinating to watch that storyline. But we'll throw it around the horn again just off of Cease's topic is you love having older adult or these are grown women here, 22, 23, 24 years old here playing basketball. That helps. Yeah, you mentioned the bubble, and this senior class is handling these changes so well. They have positive attitudes, which really impacts the team as they are leaders. Uh, They want this season, and they've sacrificed a lot to get here. They've mentioned that they don't even have the simple pleasure of going out to eat at a restaurant. They've sacrificed so much. I don't know if you've noticed, but they've had, they haven't had any COVID issues all season long, and that's not by accident. I mean, our only two, can- only two cancellations on the season were Missouri and Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt canceled their season uh, mid-January, and then Missouri was just a cancellation because of weather. So they are committed to the goal of winning the NCAA tournament. Their focus uh, has become a winning of a lifestyle. They're committed to the way they eat, uh, the way they go out, and everything they do. So they've bounced back, and it hasn't been by accident. They've changed the narrative of last season, ending early in the SEC tournament uh, quarterfinals against Arkansas and uh, before the cancellation of March Madness, where they weren't able to redeem themselves. Uh, but they won the quarterfinals this year and now are a number two seed for March Madness, and I only see it going up from here for this team. I need to get back to committing Please. to the way I eat. Mike, what do you have? <laughs> Please knock on wood behind you, Anna, that you didn't just jinx the COVID issue. They, they have been stellar all season. I got a lot of but wood here. There's <laughs> a lot of wood yeah, at Texas. Please knock on it. The, uh, the one thing I would say, based on Cease's point with the veteran leadership, is you look at the men's tournament, the women's tournament. There, there are a couple of things that I think uh, are keys to success on both year in, year out. And it's good guard play, good rebounding, and can you make free throws? And those three things almost – universally are qualities of a championship team and AM with Aaliyah Wilson and Jordan Nixon, destiny pits off the bench, Mackenzie green, Kayla Wells in that semi guard, semi forward. She fits in that wing role. They have good guard play. Sierra Johnson and Dia Jones, two very, very, very capable bigs and Dia Jones, the best rebounder in program history. Rebounding shouldn't be an issue for them. And then free throws, they're not a great free throw shooting team. They're a good enough free throw shooting team. And I think there's Tom and Cease, Gabe, chime in here. And a YouTube four or five players on the team that if they were fouled late in the game, you'd feel relatively confident in them knocking down free throw. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. You want them to be a veteran team, but if you have a bunch of freshmen who can do that, like I think at Kentucky with Anthony Davis back a few years ago and Michael K. Gilchrist, it doesn't have to be a veteran team. They happen to be veterans with those same qualities this year which is what I think makes this particular A&M women's team so dangerous in this tournament. Yeah, I think all the guards are really good good free throw shooters. So I think that's that's a plus for A&M on most teams. Tom, anything yeah. to add there? Because you've seen uh, – you've been around really close to a bunch of different teams with different personalities. But from what you can tell, do you think this team is most equipped of any of these recent groups to properly be able to handle the extra stringent – tactics that are going to be thrown at them in the next three weeks hopefully they last that long yeah and i've said it before that this is from what we can see from the outside i'm not at every practice obviously i'm not with them at meals but from everything i can see this is the 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 closest bonded team that, that that i've ever seen and i've been calling radio for about 20 of these teams over the last 27 years and uh it sort of takes me back to the subject that that I wanted to get to probably the next closest team that I can remember uh, 
is the first team that went to the NCAA tournament back in 1994. That was my first year to call a radio. It was Lynn Hickey's last year in 94. And what a great story that was. I, I, you know, just to repeat it real quickly, A&M's a number 13 seed. It's their first time ever in the NCAA tournament. Florida's a number four seed. Um, Florida has a Rod Stewart concert already booked for their arena, so they have to play the game at G. Raleigh White Coliseum. And uh, Martha McClellan scores 22 points, and A&M beats Florida by two points and moves on to uh, the next round. And then they go to San Diego State, probably one of my favorite games ever that A&M has ever played in a little matchbook gym. I mean, seriously, this was a gym where if you went in for a layup, you hit the wall at the other end. Uh, at San Diego State, they win that game and they go to the Sweet 16 in their first ever NCAA tournament. And what that takes me to is Gary Blair and what he's done. This is their 16th straight NCAA tournament. Before Gary Blair got here, they'd only been twice. Once the one I just mentioned and the other one, they went only because they won the SWC tournament by beating Tech at Reunion Arena. So they'd only been twice. And then they went on a nine-year drought of uh, NCAA tournaments before Gary got here. Had his only losing season his first year, went to the WNIT, and since then, 16 straight tournaments. You'd have told the hierarchy at A&M, hey, we're going to hire this guy from Arkansas. We're going to bring him in. You know, he's not the youngest guy in the world, but he's had some success at some places. He's a good old boy. I think we'll all like him. Going to have to pay him a little bit more, but let's bring him in and see what he does. Well, what he does is he kept a staff together uh, almost completely for his entire career. The one guy that left went and almost won two national championships, and then he brings in Bob Starkey, and they've been together ever since, since 2012. And this is their, uh, what, 16th straight NCAA tournament. Pretty awesome. Cease tip of the cap to Rod Stewart, too, by allowing A&M to advance in that tournament. Oh, yeah. And uh, actually, uh, <laughs> the way it worked, Olin will tell you, he went to San Diego, but I went to, went to uh, Stanford. So I got to see Stanford, and that was uh, Lynn Ann's last game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good history there, Tom, and there's no doubt – what Gary Blair's done, I mean, we can go around for days probably just talking about the impact Coach Blair's made. Here he is, 75 years old, and is he 75 yet or close to it? He is. I think he's there. He's, a, he's yeah, there. He's there. I mean, yeah. how, could, how could you literally say, sit here and say he's not in his prime? He's recruiting like crazy. They're recruiting McDonald's All-Americans still. They're not slowing down, and – He's still out coaching and out scheming people. I mean, it's crazy. Notice one thing that hadn't really been brought up much lately. When's Gary going to retire? People aren't talking about that right now. I think you're right. Well, Gary talked about that after the uh, South Carolina win. You know, he said he was he's he didn't want he didn't want to talk about that. He's he's going to keep going on. Yeah. Well, no, he's got new life. He's got you know he got married. He. uh, I think he's I think he's in his prime coaching. I think it's great. I it's so I think the best thing that happened for him is Vic got that Texas job because now he, he he's priced A and M out of the market. There's no way you're gonna pay three something million dollars for a women's basketball coach. So just keep pay, paying Gary Blair to coach you. Yeah. Quote Gary, <laughs> quote Gary, I'll be damned. 
I'll be damned. <laughs> I'll be damned. 75, 80. He'll still be coaching at 80 years old. All right. So that is, you know, we've been talking about the seniors a lot, but a big key, Anna, is those two seniors, particularly in the front court. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, last time I talked about the balance of this team, and I just wanted to bring that up because my point here today ties into that a little bit. Uh, But when you look at the SEC semifinal game against Georgia, you wonder what happened here. And I think a huge factor in this loss, other than Georgia just wanting it more, was the Bulldogs' ability to clog the paint, which LSU was also able to do against the Aggies and the Aggies lost to um, the Tigers. So, In this game versus Georgia, senior center Sierra Johnson was limited to just two points as opposed to the 10 she averages a game. Now, this team is perfectly balanced, but I've noticed that when a team is able to shut down one of the Aggies contributors, which doesn't succeed often given the fact there's only two losses, but when it does happen, A&M struggles to compensate. Just for reference, all starters average between 9 to 13 points a game, and these players are certainly capable of pouring it on as almost five of the players average double digits each game, but it seems that they might max out in their point contribution. And there's nothing wrong here. It seems they found the formula, but I'm just picking at their weaknesses that could be exposed in this tournament. Um, And if there's an outlier game where an opponent can shut down a starter like Sierra Johnson, they're still trying to figure out how to respond to this, which could be their Achilles heel. And I'm not going to call it a glass ceiling, uh, but each player is comfortable contributing a certain amount to this team. A&M has a balanced attack, which is a good thing, but if someone is getting shut down, the Ags struggle to make points elsewhere. Flashback to last season, Kennedy Carter showed that she could pick the team up and get them into a rhythm. She went on her own runs, established a cadence for the team, but if you're going to stop one of the A&M scoring threats, Kennedy Carter could make that up, and if you stop Kennedy, the team would just fall apart. On the contrary here, if you completely shut down one of the AM scoring threats, such as Sierra Johnson, uh, the team struggles to make points up elsewhere and is still figuring out how to respond to that. So the Aggies don't have that same type of player this year in Kennedy Carter, but they filled it, they filled in and got greater as a team. Along with the lack of paint production in the close game against Georgia, the Aggies are missing that one player that says, I'm taking us there. And maybe that player's in Dia Jones. Sometimes a tournament like the NCAA tournament can create that kind of player. All it takes is one or two players saying, I'm going to play my best basketball ever, not to the detriment of the team or to mess up the chemistry, but they're just going to get those extra points, grab extra rebounds, dish out extra um, assists, draw an extra foul. And the teams that have beaten AM have taken away the option of the paint or just outperformed the Aggies down low. So dominance in the paint equates to dominance in the tournament, I believe. And LSU out-rebounded AM in the Aggies' early loss, 40 to 31. Georgia out-rebounded the Aggies 38-30. to The paint play is a huge factor in these games. And AM's all-time leader in rebounds and double-doubles, India Jones grabbed only six rebounds against Georgia. So she averages about 10 a game, and it's cru- it is crucial that she or another Aggie is on when it comes to getting those extra possessions on the boards, especially on Monday against a rebounding team like Troy. So this team, I think, struggles to find their identity when the paint is shut down. Um, So we just got to figure out who's going to step up. And I think it's critical that this team shows out ready to play and dominate the paint if they want to make a deep run in this tournament. Very good. They're not losing to Troy, but Troy does have two rebounders that are averaging double-double inside. So that's going to be a pretty fascinating matchup, actually. And even if A&M struggles there and then wins, does it give Bill Finley or Michigan State a little blueprint? And if they can't do it, is it Arizona down the road or NC State? So, yeah, you're going to need to win, not just win, but dominate 
these early battles inside. And Dia Jones, Sierra certainly can do that, guys. I think Sierra is kind of the X factor for this team. Yeah. When she when she plays to her full potential and she's getting 16 points and 10 rebounds, that opens up so much for India too. And then they can't double in the post and they can't rotate because as soon as they do, both of those two bigs are awesome at kicking out to the three-point shooters. And either Kayla or Leah taking that little one dribble pull-up that they're so good at. If Sierra plays like, like we've seen her play, that's, I think, what unlocks everything else in this Aggie offense. She's been good. Don't get me wrong. It's not like she hasn't been good, but she hasn't been as consistently good as maybe we we would have liked from a fifth-year senior uh, throughout the entire course of the season. But if she gets back to that level where we know she can be, uh, this A&M team is really, really tough to stop. I think it's interesting. She has been good. She has been good. Don't take. She's been very good. Sure. I think she'd be even better. Sure. I think, I think it's interesting in this tournament. The, a little bit of a change, or a lot of change, from the coach's standpoint, is that they're not going to be able to scout their next opponent in person, uh, because Iowa State and Michigan yeah. State yeah. are going to be playing at the exact same time at the Alamo Dome that A and M is playing on Monday night. So, you know, whereas before you'd have, uh, you know, two games, you could scout your opponent in person. Neither team will be able to do that. They'll be able to scout, you know, on video that night, I'm sure, or recorded. You're right. Gary likes the offense to go through Johnson when, when possible, but there's been a couple games where I didn't think she fought hard enough inside to, to get people off her, and that's natural as well because you got to give the defender credit. So th- those are all moving parts, and Georgia made it so she couldn't get open, and Stady got in foul trouble the last time they played Georgia, but not this time. So, you know, it, it's all in parts. And then what happens if they take that away? Then maybe does Wells step up? Wells hasn't had that 30-point game, which I know she can have and she's had before. And, and Anna alluded to that. Maybe somebody comes up and has that game. It's been a while since Wilson had that 28-point game. So they have the capabilities if something's taken away. You hope all options are going to be flowing, but they're not. This is the instant. Determined. They're going to take one or two things away from you, just like AM's going to take it. Starkey's going to take it away from somebody else, and that's the beauty of it because AM has options. Well, and in Sierra's defense too, Gary has needed her as a screener uh, more than ever before, and, and Jordan Nixon works really well up top. And Sierra's natural habitat is down at low post. But she's been playing more along at the top of the key because she's in, she's the best screener in the SEC, if not the country. And they've needed that dribble drive, and it's opened up a lot for Nixon down the stretch. So I think she's having to evolve as a player. You guys agree? I think that has oh, something to do with absolutely. a little touch, a dip in production, too, in her defense. Not that she can't play a little better, and they're going to have to have her. But the high-low game is a huge part of it. But I think they've been a little bit different basketball team here down the stretch than – Maybe Gary was using them before. Gabe, you're so smart. You're so you're so right. Glad you point out because Sun Sarah's got to go out 15 meet, 15 feet, set a pick at the high. Then if that doesn't work, you want her to get her butt real quick down 15 feet and set up. That's a lot of energy. In in got to got to give the girl credit. Um, I have a yeah. profile coming out on Aaliyah Wilson later this week, and something we talked about was how good of a screener Sierra is, and that little mid range jumper that Aaliyah loves is because her defender is a step slow getting over that Sierra screen. And she pretty much said, anytime I make a mid-range jumper, the first person I'm doing, when, or first thing I'm doing when I'm getting back is giving Sierra a pat on the back or a high five because that two points really should be her two points. I, I'm the one that made the shot. She's the one that got me open. 
All right, let's close with maybe your big keys to this thing. Just to get out of this first weekend, taking this thing one. We take it two at a time on press row, two games at a time. And then next week we'll do two more games if they keep advancing, right? Coaches are one game at a time. But we're doing two games here. Troy's 22-5 and five overall. They're 50 in the RPI, 0-1 against quad one, which is the top 30 in the country. A&M's obviously uh, in that group. Iowa State, 16-10, and 10, 35 in the RPI. I cut net this year because of COVID. I don't even talk about it on the women's side. 2-8 and eight against quad one, but one of those wins was Baylor. So they've proven they can go beat a team like this. Michigan State's 15-8 and eight overall, 8-7 eight and seven in the Big Ten, 72 RPI, 1-5 and five against quad one. We'll go around the horn. Anna, we'll quickly do it. Give me your big key to A&M taking two, and we're back here next week talking about a Sweet 16 matchup. Yeah, obviously staying healthy, but also coming out hot and bringing that energy right off the gate, um, but also winning the rebound battle, you know, dominating down low. So I think those will be the keys for winning this game in the next Mike. two months. You look at any upset in March Madness throughout the years, turnovers from the higher-ranked team, is always their downfall. Take control of the ball. Let your more talented players do what they have to do offensively. If you can limit turnovers, A&M should be uh, dancing still in the Sweet 16 when we meet next week. Tom? Taking what you uh, learn on the practice court, taking it to the, the game uh, both times. And and like the, the others have, have said, uh, Come out strong. I agree with Anna. Coming out strong is an issue. Don't let Troy hang around for sure. Uh, get a lot of players into that game so you can keep a lot of players on the bench to rest them up for two nights later with uh, either Iowa State or Michigan State. And against Iowa State, just sort of do what you did against Arkansas twice because they're going to run and gun and shoot the long ball. Cease. We'll go take care of the basketball. Got to. Short and sweet. No doubt about it. And finally, congratulations to Gary Blair as a finalist for the Naismith Award. He's been nominated now for the third straight time. We'll see if he can bring it home here. You can vote for this award at NaismithFanVote.com and have a little percentage of the overall ability to win this thing. Oriyama, Oriyama and Staley have been eliminated. There's the OSWC uh, swag in 1979 for Tom Turbyville. That's a good way to do it. Gary Blair, Westmore. That's right. Joni Taylor and Tara Vanderveer are the finalists there for the Naismith Trophy. Well, I'll be damned. We did another one, guys. <laughs> Women's basketball. I'll be damned if I watch A&M lose a game with the Longhorn logo at center court. So hopefully I'll win these two and then get back to doing it in, uh, outside of Austin. Go down south just a little bit. Guys, that'll be fun. Looking forward to having you back next week and continue this conversation. That's Tom Turbyville and Robert Cessna and Mike Lucas and Anna Peterson. Anna will be representing Texags down inside the bubble-ish. That should be down there providing content for us at Texags.com. It's A&M and Troy in a 15-2 game to kick it off Monday, 5 o'clock, ESPN2. Tom and Tap will have the call, not courtside, but in the arena, and that's better than it has been on – uh, games outside of home games here. Tom and Tap on the call right here. Or well, not here necessarily, but on the zone, 1150 AM, 93.7 FM locally. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review. Tom, what you got? Games are going to be on WTAW, the Flamethrower, okay. 1620. Okay. They're going to be gotcha. on WTAW. Well, that's good. And it'll be See, Steve, I need to know, it'll be I need Steve to know Miller and myself. Oh, come on, Tap. 
you be breaking too many eggs out there. <laughs> now I know. All right. So, hey, look, this kind of podcast, we don't need to recut. So, just this is the Gabe Box and Idiot out cue session. And it'll be on WTAW. It'll be Tom and Steve. We'll be listening to that, Tom. And hopefully, we'll be back here next week talking about a Sweet 16 run. Thanks for listening to the podcast. It's Press Row Women's Basketball Edition, texags.com.